If I were to ask you tonight, um, concerning the book of Job, what would be a one-word summary of that book? What's that book about? I dare say that probably nearly everybody here would either give me one of two words. Um, one word would be suffering. Uh, another word might be patience, the patience of Job. And those are really good themes, really good words that kind of sum up those books. But I find it interesting that while those are the themes of the book, you know the word patience is not even once mentioned in the book of Job. In fact, the word suffering is only mentioned once in the book of Job. And, well, depending on the translation that you have, uh, sometimes it's not mentioned at all. So, uh, you know, it's interesting that those are the themes, yet the words themselves aren't even hardly at all used in the book. But those concepts are on every single page of the book of Job. Where do we get that idea where, where everybody talks about the patience of Job? Where did that come from? Well, if you have your Bible, open it to James chapter 5, because that's not a passage that comes from the Old Testament book of Job, where he talks about the patience of Job. It's a passage that comes from the book of James chapter 5. And if you look with me in verses 10 uh, through 11, the passage says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. I really like that verse. Because it tells me of the patience of Job. You know, see these people that have suffered? Hey, have you considered the patience of Job? And note this, considering the intended end of the Lord, his compassion and his mercy. You know what that tells me? That, that tells me that not all suffering is just random, that it's without meaning, that we're just absolutely helpless to the circumstances around us. We just have to put up with it. There is an end, an intended end that the Lord has in mind. And with that, it helps the suffering uh, process. We can, we can deal with it a little bit more because we have uh, promises about God's activity in our lives, His providence. And, um, but here's a question that I want you to consider. Why would James talk about the patience of Job when Job doesn't seem like he's a very patient man? I mean, have you read the book of Job? Have you listened to what Job had to say? The, the, uh, the complaints that he registered all through the book? He cried out for a mediator because he didn't think that he was dealing, being dealt with fairly and he needed some go-between between he and God so that, that, that we could have some resolution here because this isn't right. Um, in chapter 3, he says, I wish I were dead. Uh, I wish I'd never been born. I, I wish if I had to be born, I would have been born stillborn. Why is it that a breath is given to those who are suffering like me? Just let me die. That, that doesn't sound like patience. Well, it does when we consider the meaning of the word patience. It comes from a compound Greek word that means literally to abide under. And the idea of patience is not what we kind of have in our mind. When I think of patience, I think of a guy that keeps his lips zipped and endures quietly. 
that's what I think, but that's not what's implied in the word. The word just means to bear up under. A heavy load is put on your back and you don't quit, you don't give up, you don't stop, you bear up under the load. Now you may have some things to say while you're bearing up under that load, and Job did, but he still endured. Maybe a better translation than patience would be the English word endurance. In fact, your Bibles may not even say patience in James chapter 5 and verse 11. Uh, it may say perseverance. Twice in that passage he talks about, and there is one occasion where in that passage he uses the word endure, and then the next word is patience, but the same Greek word, it, it means to just bear up under. You don't quit. Job was a man that no matter what was thrown his way, he wouldn't, he wouldn't quit. You're not going to deter me. Nothing will deter me. I'm going to see this thing through, and I will not quit. I want us to talk about Job tonight and how, what was it about his faith that enabled him to bear up under and how can I develop those same qualities? Are there some things that when I look at his life that I see that, that are noteworthy and I say, ah, that, I need to work on that because that will help me to be a man or a woman of patience. That's what I want us to do tonight. First of all, let me remind you of something. Maybe you've heard of this. Uh, in February of 1942, Albert Francis George, Joseph, and Madison Sullivan all were inducted into the Navy. And they all were commissioned to a ship, the USS Juno. They were brothers. Wouldn't that be neat? You know, if you have to go serve in the, the, the uh, military, that you're, you're at least with family. And, and these seven brothers were together. They were family. They're serving on the same ship, and nine months later, November, there was a Japanese submarine that torpedoed that ship, and the ship went down. Eight days later, they recovered ten survivors who were still floating in the shark-infested waters, none of whom were the Sullivan brothers. Imagine what it must have been like for Mr. and Mrs. Sullivan to get that knock on the door. And there's a man dressed in military uniform, and he comes in and says, I'm sorry to report to you that not one, not two, not three, not even four, all seven of your sons were killed in battle. What kind of a blow would that be? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the horror that must have just enveloped them at that moment? I, I can't even get my arms around that thought. What, what kind of anger and da- disbelief and confusion would have overcome them? And I share that with you. In fact, that event actually caused the Navy to change some procedures as to how they assign family members. They, they don't do that anymore because of the possibility, the risk of this happening again. They don't ever want it to happen again. But it, it happened, and one family lost all seven of their sons in one day. 
If you can understand that, then you can understand the setting for the book of Job. And sometimes, I don't know why it is, but sometimes we have to look at something a little more modern or a little more closer to us to get us to understand something. I can read sometimes Bible stories that just tug or should tug at your emotions, but it's just a story. I just read through it. But if I hear what happened yesterday in the newspaper, it grabs me. I don't know why that is. The the distance, the time sometimes just does that to us. But if you understand what happened in 1942 with the Sullivan family and can kind of try to imagine what that would have been like, then I want you to try to put your mind back in the days of Job and imagine a man and his wife sitting in his home and a knock comes on the door. And one of his servants comes in and says, Job, I'm sorry, but I'm here to report that um, the Sabians killed all your servants, took all of your donkeys. Job was a very rich man. Uh, you look at chapter 1 and you look at the things that he had. Uh, he's a wealthy guy. But they came and they stole all your donkeys. They killed all your servants. I alone escaped And that's why I'm here to tell you what happened. And as he spoke, another knock on the door. And another servant comes in and says, Listen, I I hate to tell you this, but your servants and and all your sheep, there was fire that came down from heaven, and, and it killed all of them. Nothing left. I alone survived. And I came to report this news to you. And as he spoke, was still speaking, Another knock on the door. And another man comes in and says, Well, your camels, the Chaldeans came and stole your camels and killed all your fa- your, your um, servants, and I alone escaped. And I wanted to tell you what had happened today. And as he was still speaking, another knock on the door. And a man says, Job, your seven sons and three daughters... They were all together in a house. And there was a great wind that came, and it knocked the house down on them. And they're all gone. They're dead. What would, this is worse than what happened to the Sullivans. Ten children, and every possession that he had is taken away from him. How do you hold up? If that were to happen to you, would you not want to just seek death are, are, are there not things that you just, I don't want to feel the hurt anymore. I don't want to try to deal and manage and, and cope with this pain. Just let me die too. But Job didn't die. He had to live. And he wasn't real happy about living. But if he was going to live, he was going to endure. That's the story in the backdrop of Job. And what I want you to see is what, qualities did Job possess that enabled him to endure in the face of such tragedy? Here's the first thing. I think that Job's, well, his initial reaction tells us something about his faith. You know what he said? Look at, look at what happens in Job chapter 1. If you have your Bible, look at when Job hears this news. Look at verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and when he fell to the ground, and then he fell to the ground, 
and worshipped. Job had the kind of faith that in the midst of trial, he worshipped. It didn't make him turn his uh, mind away from God. It didn't make him raise a, a fist to God and swear to get even. I have been with people in the hospital when tragedy has struck their families, and, and I have literally seen people raise a fist, lift their head, and challenge God. It's not a pretty sight. It, it's not enduring. It's not patience. Job loses everything, and his first thought is to worship. That must have been hard, but I understand it. You know, we sing a song in our songbooks, Where Could I Go But To The Lord? You know, you know that song. We, we've sung that. Where could I go but to the Lord? There, there are some circumstances in life that when they befall us, well, you can't go to a friend. You can't go to a, a brother or a sister. You can't reach out to somebody and, and have them meet your need. It's beyond their ability to counsel and console you. There are some times in our lives where all we can do is go to the Lord. And that's what Job did. Um, Jesus, in John chapter 6, on one occasion... He had been preaching some things that, well, they were hard. They were difficult things. And when some of his disciples heard it, they just said, uh, I'll see you. I'm not sticking around for this. And they deserted Jesus. And so Jesus turned to his disciples that he had selected, and he turned to them and he said, hey, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter spoke up. And he said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I mean, where else would we turn? How, who, to whom would we go? You have the only hope that we have. Job understood that and responded accordingly. If we want to endure hardship, when you get knocked off your feet, worship, praise God, give Him glory. Don't turn your back on Him. Don't get angry with Him um, and realize that he's on your side. And really, he's the only one in a position to help and to understand and to give you comfort and hope and, and counsel in a situation that seems overwhelming. Here's another thing about Job's uh, patience. It was characterized by his being able to endure when his family was unwilling. Now, his children are gone. He still has a wife. Satan has had another meeting with God and says, well, let me touch his flesh. God says, don't kill him. But he gave him boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And pathetic, grotesque sight of Job sitting out in a dump yard where they, you know, they break something. They just pitch it over here and there's just a pot. And he's sitting there with pieces of pottery and just scraping the boils from his flesh. Job's wife sees this and comes up to him and says, Job, curse God and get this over with. Curse God and die. And Job's response was, you, you talk like one of the foolish women. I'm not about to do that. How hard is it to stay faithful to God when you don't have support from your own family? Job was a man who wouldn't be deterred, even though his family said, curse God and die. And I'll tell you, there, there's a point there about, you know, our lives 
I, I know that sometimes uh, people marry and, and they've married people that haven't known the Lord and they come and they, they, they are an influence and they bring them to Christ and that's wonderful that you brought them to Christ and, and God bless you in the work that you did to bring them to Christ. I, I'm grateful to that. But at the same time, I want you to understand that you're the exception to the rule. That's not the way it normally, typically works. And to live a life where you're trying to serve God and then you have a spouse or a partner that, you know, your, your husband or your wife you, that's pulling, tugging constantly a different direction, it can wear on you through the years. I had a lady one time tell me, she said, I love my husband. She's a member of the church. Her husband was not a Christian. And she said, I, I love my husband. But if I had to do it over again, I, I wouldn't marry him because I can't begin to tell you how hard it's been to serve God faithfully with him pulling the other direction. Be mindful of that. If you want to be a person of patience, one who endures and sees it through to the end, how many people have we known of who have been pulled away from God because of the influence of their own family? I went and visited a Christian couple one time. They were unfaithful, and we went to check on them and see how things were going. And and uh, one time the husband wasn't there, the other time the wife wasn't there. And the first time we met with the wife, and she said, I'll come back. He's just the one that's holding it up. As soon as he decides, we'll be back. I, I want to come back, but I'm waiting on him. And you know, we went and we met with him, and you know what he said? I'll come back. As soon as she decides to do right and get come back, I'll come back with her. They're waiting on each other. They were both a hindrance to each other. Job wouldn't let family get in his way. His wife cursed God and die. Not a chance. I am going to see this through. I'm going to endure it. I don't like it, but I'm going to endure to the end. Here's another quality about Job's faith that uh, gave him such endurance and caused him to be known as a man of patience. And it's that he endured the clumsiness of his friends. And I don't know what else to say it other than just clumsiness. Um, because these guys, they accuse him of all kind of things. Can you imagine losing 10 children and your friends come and they tell you that the reason they're dead is because of you and you're a sinner? And they went so far as to say, Zophar said... And you know what? What happened to you doesn't touch. You deserve so much worse for what you've done. You know, losing your 10 kids, you think that's bad? Well, if God were here and could speak to you to your face, he would tell you how much worse you should be getting right now. That would be hard to take. Can you imagine having comforters like that? But I say the clumsiness because that was not their... They didn't come to to push their thumb down and squash Job. That wasn't their purpose. Look at Job chapter 2 and verse 13. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. These guys came to help. And there's nothing they can say. They just came to be there, to be with him, to share in his suffering and his grief. 
They didn't offer any words. They didn't have any words to offer. And they sat there for seven days just to be with him. These guys are good-intentioned men. They were so off-base. They were so clumsy. When they began to speak and try to put reason behind the things that had happened to Job's life, they had it so wrong. And Job forgave them. He didn't uh, just swipe them away and I'm through with them and I'll never speak to them. You know what they said to me? He endured. There are things that happen to us in life when um, the clumsiness of others... You know how many people have quit going to church because somebody said something and it hurt their feelings and they'll never come back? Somebody, uh, you know, I overheard this and or this decision was made and, and it affected me in this way and people didn't even think of it. They, they didn't even know what they were, how it impacted. There was no malicious intent involved, but because somebody got hurt because of the clumsiness of somebody else, then they're through with God, they're through with the church, they're, they're gone, they're out of here. Happens all the time. If anyone had the right to do that, it would have been Job, but he didn't let the clumsiness of his friends dissuade him or deter him from serving God. He endured it. You know, I'm going to tell one on Matthew here, uh, and I may have shared this before, but, you know, a number of years ago, Matthew was just old enough to mow the yard, and uh, we had one of those mowers with a mix, you know, gas, oil, and we also had one with just straight-up gas, gasoline. And I, I was at the office, and I got a call, and Matthew said, uh, Dad, I, I can't get the mower started. And I said, well, why not? And he said, well, I poured the wrong gasoline in that mower. And I was like, are you kidding me? Because I had written on magic marker on the can, not for mower, not for mower, not for mower, on three sides of that gas can. And he still picked it up and poured it into the mower? What in the world? I was mad. And I didn't sound very nice on the phone. And I said, don't do anything. And I just, I said, I'm coming home. And I slammed the phone down, got in the car, and I was fuming as I drove home. And by the way, before I finish this, for those of you mechanics, I know what you're thinking. You can fix that. You know, if you'll just, I, I got it fixed, okay? So don't hit me at the door and tell me what I could do. You know, I, I got it taken care of. But, but when I, I can remember the specific stoplight, the traffic light on the way home, that I stopped and I had this memory of my dad. I was about his age. And we had just gotten a brand new lawn boy mower. Cadillac of mowers. We had these little things, you know, and we finally got a lawn boy. And it had that gas oil mix. I did the same thing. I poured the wrong gas in and seized up that motor and it wouldn't stop, start that engine. And I remember having to go to my dad and tell him what I had done. And he sat there and looked at the mower for a minute and he said, it'll be all right. And, oh, I was so convicted because I had just been so ugly to Matthew. And so when I got home, I pulled up in the driveway, I walked in the house, and over to the right was this, I've got this big uh, recliner, not a normal person recliner, a big recliner uh, for me. 
And he was sitting in that. His feet didn't even reach the ground. But he would not make eye contact with me. He just sat there like this. And I said, uh, Matthew, you know what? When I was about your age, you know what I did? And he didn't respond, didn't look at me. And I said, I poured the wrong kind of gasoline in granddad's brand new lawnmower and did the very same thing. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of, you know, then he kind of looks up at me and smiles uh, as if, you know, we, we've connected. It's going to be all right. I'm not as mad as I was before. Um, can we endure the clumsiness of others if we stop and think and realize that people have good intentions? It wasn't an effort to hurt. It wasn't an effort to, to uh, destroy. It was just thoughtlessness, clumsiness. We can put up with that. Uh, Job did. These guys were terrible to Job, accusing him of all kind of wickedness. But they did it not because they were hateful or malicious. They did it just because they were, they were clumsy. Sometimes we're clumsy brothers and sisters in Christ, and we miss opportunities to say things to each other. We, we don't say it well. We, we, we hurt each other, not out of malicious um, intent. When those things happen to you, have the patience of Job. Don't let that overthrow your faith. Don't let that deter you, cause you to give up. Also, another thing that I noticed from Job is that he intended concerning his patience. He he endured when he didn't want to endure. Um, There there were things in life. Do you think he'd choose that for himself? Do you think that anyone would say, of all the lives and all the outcomes of a life that that a person could possibly have, I would pick the one that Job had. That's the life I... I don't know if anybody would pick Job's life. No one would choose that for themselves. He had a life that he had to live out that was not of his own making and not of his own choice. But it was his. And he was determined to deal with it. To bear up under it. And we need to do the same. And I'll tell you what helped Job to do that. And it's that statement in... James chapter 5, verse 11, that intended end that God has in mind. You put the right motive out in front of people and they'll endure a lot of things. You give them the reason to endure and and something out there worth grabbing onto, worth suffering, worth enduring, and they'll endure for that prize, that intended end. God had an intended end for Job. To bless him. And that end was consistent with his compassion and his love and his long-suffering, his graciousness. And Job said, I don't like this, but I'm not going to quit. I may have shared this with you too. Um, one, one time my mom was cooking and she burned the, the meat, the roast, the steak, whatever it was that we were having that night. She was really upset, crying. And I remember dad calling me back in the bedroom and he said, listen, mom burned the meat and we don't have enough to go around tonight. So I'm going to ask you to do what men do. Um, Men let the women eat. And so when the plate is passed to you, 
Don't take any meat. Just pass it on and let your mother and let your sister have it. I was okay with that. That was an invitation to manhood to me, you know? I was like, whoa, dad just invited me to be a man. Yeah, I'll do that. That's what's riding on this. So I was excited about, you know, normally a piece of meat, one less, and my sister, I'm eating the meat. You know, my sister can go without. But that day, he put it in terms that there is an intended end. This is what men do. And so I never felt more proud and more like a man than when that meat was passed to me and I just passed it on. Didn't take any. You see, a person will do what they're not inclined to do if the motivation is right. The motivation was right. Get to act like a man. And with Job, the intended end of God, I can do this. I don't like it. But I am going to see it through to the end because I want to go to heaven. And then finally this. He endured in the midst of his own failure to understand. Listen, he didn't, he didn't get it. And I don't know that he got it at the end of the book either. Why has all this happened to me? He didn't understand. But does an ounce of doubt have to destroy a pound of faith? The fact that you don't understand all the workings of God, does that mean that you have to throw all your faith out the window? There are things about God I don't understand. There are things about the workings of God that I don't understand. But does that mean that I have to just give up on God altogether? Can I not acknowledge the fact, the reality that there are some things that God understands that I just don't and maybe never will because he's God and I'm human? When you have a child, are there not things that you see clear as day and you give instruction concerning those things. And that child, as much as they would try to understand, they can't. They do not have the wisdom, the experience to see it. You know, why do we tell our children not to eat sweets before the meal? They don't get it. We understand. We, we've got it understood. But to them, they just don't get that. If I can acknowledge that there are things that I know better than my children and they just can't understand it, then why can't I just back that up a step and say, there are things that God understands that I'll never understand. Just trust them. That's the kind of faith that Job had. He trusted God even though he didn't understand it. And it helped him to endure. So my call to you tonight, is to be men and women of patience, of endurance. Don't ever give up. There may be things you don't understand. There may be people that hurt you along the way. Even your own family may desert you. But don't ever give up because God has an intended end that is consistent with his grace and with his compassion, and you don't want to miss out on that. Uh, Job, at the end of his life, was given double, twice as much of everything that he had before he began. He, he began with 7,000 sheep. He ends up with 14,000. He begins with 3,000 lambs and or camels, and he ends up with 6,000. 500 oxen, 500 don- donkeys, he ends up with 1,000 of each. Here's an interesting thing. He began with... Ten children, seven sons and three daughters. In the end, he's given ten children. 
I thought you were going to double everything. Well, he did. You see, I think that's a subtle implication of life after death. Job's children did get doubled. The fact that they're not living there with him, he still has ten children. And uh, he was given ten more, twenty. Those were doubled as well. God will bless us. It's his intent, his intended end, to bless us in the end in a way that is consistent, again, with his compassion and his mercy. But we have to endure. Hopefully some of the things from the life of Job will help us not to get sidetracked. Life is hard, and it sometimes can be difficult. And there are times when you don't have answers and nobody can help you. It's beyond their counsel and their ability to comfort. That's when we turn to the Lord. Where could I go but to the Lord? If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, where can you go but to the Lord for your problem? You've sinned. The wages of sin is death. I can't fix that. No one here can fix that. Where can you go but to the Lord? Respond to Him. Obey Him. And you have a solution to your problem. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need to make your life right, we invite you to come. We'll pray with you if you'll let us. Won't you come as we stand together and sing?